Thank you, ladies. Let's take our Bibles this morning and turn with me, if you would, to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 1 in your Bibles this morning. What a wonderful song to uh, bring us into our time to look at the Word of God this morning and to consider the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what a wonderful question was asked in that song, Who is this, who is this babe? Who is this baby that's uh, in this manger? And uh, what's his purpose for being here? And uh, they answered the question. In a sense, they kind of preached the message this morning. And we're going to see from the Word of God in this pronouncement that Gabriel made to Mary. Uh, Mary would have been a very young girl at the time that Gabriel came to her. She probably, very likely, was only 12 years of age, 13, maybe 14 years of age. And uh, that was common in those days. It's not common today. And uh, Gabriel had a pronouncement for Mary that she was going to have a baby. And, of course, she wasn't married. And so how was that going to happen? And uh, Gabriel told Mary uh, some things about this baby that she was going to have, that the baby she was going to have was God in human flesh, and that the baby she was going to have was uh, the Messiah, the promised one, that the one who God had promised to Israel, the Deliverer. And this baby that she was going to have was going to save the world from its sin. And uh, what a, a rude awakening, I think. It wasn't a rude awakening, it was an awakening. Uh, and Mary was astonished. She was trying to think these things through. She's asking, how can these things be? And, uh, but as I look at this passage in Luke chapter 1, I can't help but notice that Mary was submitted to God's will for her life. And we're going to put most of the emphasis this morning on the Lord Jesus Christ as the message ought to be. But I can't help but noticing that Mary was submitted to what God's plan was for her. And uh, we're about to wrap up 2018. 2018 has been a wonderful year. Uh, I have had more physical issues gone wrong with me in 2018 than any year prior in my life. Um, but uh, outside of that, it's just been mostly positive, and uh, God's worked in mighty, a mighty way in our church uh, this year in so many different ways. I've watched him work in your lives individually. Many of you have gone through very, very challenging things this year, and yet I've watched many of you. You've encouraged my heart so much by how you've continued to follow the Lord, and really, I can say, submitted yourself to what God's plan is for your life. You know, God's plan for our lives are not always the easiest of plans. They're not always, uh, when we think of God's will, we might think of only those things that are beautiful and wonderful and enjoyable, but that's not always how God's plans work out. In fact, God often chooses us to bring glory and honor to him by bringing us through hardship, sometimes even allowing temptation into our lives and ultimately to bring glory and honor to him. And that's what he wanted for Mary. And ultimately, he wanted uh, his creation, mankind, to be able to be saved, forgiven of their sins. And to do that, he had to make a provision. And that provision was his only son, God in human flesh, Jesus Christ, dying for the sins of the whole world. Look at Luke chapter 1. 
I'll begin reading in verse number 26, Luke chapter 1 and verse 26. I'm going to read down through verse number 38, and then we'll pray together. In verse 26 of Luke 1, the Bible says, And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto, in, unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin, a spouse, to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee, blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled uh, at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. She's trying to sort this out. (laughs) She's never been greeted quite like this before. Verse 30, And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And He shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And, and the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her who who was called barren. For with God nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord. And that word handmaid comes from our Greek word doule, which means a servant or a slave. And she says to the angel of the Lord, to Gabriel, Behold, the slave, the servant of the Lord. And then notice the statement she makes at the end of verse 38. Be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. Look before we pray at the middle part of verse 38 again. Mary's response to God's plan for her was, Be it unto me according to to thy word, thy will. Could, could each one of us here to this morning, could we say that, make that same statement to the Lord? God, be it unto me according to thy word. Whatever you want for our marriage, whatever you want for our lives, whatever you want for our children, God, whatever you want for our church, be it unto us according to thy word. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this young girl, this young lady, this girl named Mary. Lord, thank you for her humility. Father, thank you for loving us when we were unlovable, when we were still in our sins and trespasses and living our lives in rebellion against you as mankind. Thank you for sending your only son to die on a cross to save us from our sins. Father, I pray as we look at this pronouncement that your messenger Gabriel made to Mary, Father, I pray that you would speak to us by your Holy Spirit, each one of us, exactly where we're at in our lives. Father, I believe there are people here this morning who are born again. Many are born again here. We're your children. We, heaven is our home. We have assurance of our salvation. And Father, may we be able to say with Mary, that whatever you have for our lives, we're wanting. 
And then, Lord, I pray for others who may not know you as their personal Savior. I pray that they would come to know you more as a result of your word this morning. And Father, I pray that you would draw them unto yourself, that ultimately they might be born again and be part of the family of God. Thank you for this great group of people this morning. Speak to us, I pray, by your spirit and for your glory. I ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. It's been said that the greatest sign of humility is a willingness to submit to God. And of course, in James chapter 4, the Bible says that God resisteth the proud, but he gives grace unto the humble. And he says again in James 4 that God giveth more grace. And, and when I think about James chapter 4 in light of Luke chapter 1, I'm, it, it strikes me that Mary was a very humble girl, a very humble young lady. She was willing to submit to the Lord. The times in my life when I probably struggle the most are the times when I do not like what God is allowing into my life. I do not like how something is working its way out in my life, and I can find myself very frustrated, taking upon myself the responsibility to make my life, to order my life according how I want it to be, which of course is the right way, right? Because I said it, right? And, and it's the right way for you because you said it. And, uh, and why would we think that way? Well, it really is quite humanistic and more than that, even idolatrous when you and I look at our lives and we think, we come to a conclusion, we don't often think it through, but this is the the, the way it goes, we come to a conclusion that our lives ought to be a certain way. They ought to fit within this box. And maybe it's financial, or maybe it's health-wise, or, or maybe it's friendships or relationships, and it really ought to be this way. We paint our own picture in our mind, our minds of how our lives ought to be. And we really almost take God out of the equation, like he has no will for our lives. And we almost insert ourselves into the position of God that we ought to be able to decide uh, how our lives turn out and how our lives are being lived. And we do so with great pride. And God is, he is the only true God. He is God alone. And his ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And we ought to be, each one of us in this room, whether we're saved or not, we ought to say, God, we understand that you're the creator of the ends of the earth and your ways are best and your ways are right and, and you always do what is right. And so, God, would you have your way in my life? But so often in our lives, even for those, those of us who are saved in this room and even for those of us who are the children of God, we, we fall short of doing that. We, we want to hold fast under the reins of our lives. But I can't help but seeing when I look at Mary's life, this young lady... She was characterized by humility. And the Bible says, by humility and the fear of the Lord come riches and honor and life. And there is no doubt, as we know the story of Mary, that God honored Mary because of her humility. Look at verse number 26, and I want to work our way through this passage here this morning. Luke chapter 1 and verse 26, I'll again read there. It says, and in the sixth month, that would be of Elizabeth's pregnancy, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Now you remember back in John chapter 1, the question was asked, can any 
thing good? Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Uh, Nazareth didn't have much of a reputation. And it's interesting here, if you look at verse number 26, where it talks about this city of Galilee. You know, the Greeks didn't have a term for town. They had a term for city, and their term for a city was a polis. Um, And uh, Nazareth here is called a city, but really it was more of a town. It, It would have been a couple thousand people at most. Uh, from the Greek word polis, we get words like political and metropolitan, and all those things have to do with a city. But Nazareth was by no stretch of an imagination a large city. It was very, very small. Again, just a couple of thousand people. Um, it was a town. And it's located for us in verse number 26 next to Galilee. It says, in Galilee. And, and why, why is the Spirit of God locating Nazareth for us. I mean, we all know where Nazareth is today. We can go to Google Maps and we can find out exactly how many miles it is from where we are now to Nazareth. They didn't always have Google Maps. So uh, why is it that the Spirit of God locates Nazareth for us? And the answer was because it was a no place. It was a, it, it was a, a nobody's place. Nothing good came from Nazareth. There were no major crossroads that passed through Nazareth. It was just off of the Sea of Galilee, a little ways, and, and it was in the region of Galilee. And, and the folks who were non-Palestinians would have had no idea where Nazareth was. And so the area of Galilee, north of Jerusalem, was known to folks, of course, because it was a region. And the city of Nazareth might not have been known to anybody outside of Palestine if it hadn't been described as to its location. Nazareth was a town a very small place, and it was very insignificant. It wasn't an important place at all. There were roads heading east and west that ran from Europe across the Middle East to Asia, but they didn't pass through Nazareth. There were roads that ran north and south and and, uh, ran from Africa all the way up into the north, and they ran through that narrow strip of land that we call Palestine or Israel. But all those roads missed Nazareth. Look at verse number 27. He says, the angel Gabriel comes to a virgin, espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was married. And so Gabriel, the same angel who had gone to Daniel in the Old Testament, and now he is here before Mary, he'd gone to Joseph, And here he is before Mary. Gabriel comes down from the presence of God to the region of Galilee to a little town of Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David. And the virgin's name we know is Mary. And the angel comes down and he comes to one house, one particular house. And God has chosen one person and her name is Mary. And this, I think, is an astonishing thing. Out of all the purposes and out of all the plans that God could have made, or what could have been God's plan, this is the one plan God chooses. God chooses, and he sends his Gabriel, his messenger, to this one house in this this out-of-the-way place where nobody knows anything about, to a small population of people, but to one person in this small town, to one house there, to one young lady, and he has chosen her to glorify him 
and to give birth to the Messiah. He came down in verse 27 to a virgin, the Bible says, Parthenos. And the Greek word Parthenos always and only means one who has had no sexual relations at all. And I'll pause for just a moment to say to, we have a lot of young people in this room this morning, um, virginity is a wonderful thing. And you ought to protect it. God has given it to you. And I know our society says that um, that's not important and you ought to have multiple relationships and maybe you ought to move in and live with someone for a while. And, but I want to tell you something. Biblically, virginity is a wonderful, special blessing that God has given to you. And you as a young person ought to protect it. And you ought to guard it. And yes, there is forgiveness when we sin against the Lord and we uh, go outside of that, the, the bounds of marriage, and enter into a relationship sexually. But God chose this young woman, Mary, and she's a virgin. She'd never had any kind of sec- sexual relations with anyone. And the word is never used of a married woman. According to the Roman law, and listen to this, the minimum age for girls to be engaged and married was 12. The minimum age, this was the Roman law, for girls to be engaged and married was 12. And for boys, the minimum age for boys to be engaged and married was 14. And I suppose that's because boys uh, mature more slowly than girls. Augustus, the emperor, had set the minimum age at 10 at one time, and that would have been for the age of engagement or betrothal. And the Jewish practice basically followed uh, what the Romans had set as law. Girls were usually engaged around 12 or 13 years of age, and they would be married after the, uh, the betrothal period was over. And I, and I think the reason they did it was very practical because they, it would guarantee the virginity of these young people. And as soon as they had reached puberty, they would be engaged and then soon married. And in that way, they wouldn't have to live for many years trying to restore or, or trying to restrain, I should say, their normal adult passions. And so here's this young lady, Mary, and she's a girl. She's 12, 13, maybe 14 years of age. And this was normal. We, I'm looking at some of your faces, and you're looking at me somewhat aghast. Like, what is happening? Well, this would have been normal during this time in history. And so look at that word betrothed. You see it there. It, 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 it's more than an engagement. More than an engagement as you and I would know it in the day in which we're living. It's not the same as our engagement. Betrothal was a binding legal relationship. It was a legal agreement arranged by the parents of the boy and of the girl. And all parents should say amen to that, okay? That's the way it ought to be done to this day. Anyway, uh, that was kind of a joke, but not really for my daughters. Uh, Verse number 28. Look at verse number 28. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail thou that art highly favored. Now the word hail there just is a common everyday kind of greeting. It's just, he's just saying, rejoice and be glad. Hail thou that art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled, that is saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. 
You know, God chose Mary because she had found favor with God. Our theme this year was, I will honor God. I will give weight to what he says. And again, that definition of humility, the most visible sign of humility is a willingness to submit to the Lord. And it's obvious in our passage, and we've already pointed out that Mary was a humble young lady. She was a, uh, an obedient young lady to God's commands in her life. This, it certainly is seen as she responds to the angel Gabriel. But I dare say that Mary's life was already characterized by these things. She was humble. She honored authority. She obeyed. Uh, And now God is honoring her. Uh, God is choosing Mary because she was honorable. He could honor her. Uh, let's, Let's look here for just a moment at Gabriel's pronouncement of Mary. And the pronouncement in brief is that, Mary, you're going to have a baby. Now, again, she's only 12, 13 years of age. Mary, you're going to have a baby, and your baby is going to be God in human flesh. Mary, you're going to have a baby, and you're going to give birth to this baby, and he's going to be the Savior, the the Yeshua HaMashiach, the promised one. Mary, you're going to have a baby, and he's going to rule and reign forever and ever. Now, there are many of us in this room who have had babies, at least through our wives, we've had babies, and, and all of us think the world of our children And, uh, you know, I see the pagans here and Brett and Hope and and I look around and I see families sitting together. You can't get any closer together. Uh, You've been apart so long. And I watch parents where we tend to be proud of our children. And um, but Mary's baby was unlike any other baby this world has ever seen. I noticed, first of all, in verse 31, that the baby that Mary had was Jesus Christ. He he is God. He is God. Look at verse number 31, the beginning part. The Gabriel says this to Mary, And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son. Verse 34, look down to verse 34. He goes on and he says, Then or, or, Mary answers the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? In verse 35, Gabriel answers and says unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Now about 760 years earlier, the prophet Isaiah had said in Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Speaking to Israel, there's going to be a sign. And you know, we know things are happening. We know we've arrived when we see the right signs. Behold, a virgin shall conceive. And bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. That was the sign. The sign that the Messiah was going to be born, or the Messiah was being born, was that a virgin was going to give birth to a child. Now that doesn't happen. It wasn't normal. She wasn't just a young woman. This was Mary, a virgin. A virgin was going to conceive and bear a son. In in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 23, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph and told Joseph, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. 
Look over to the book of John, would you? John chapter 1, the Gospel of John. I want you to look at a couple of verses in John chapter 1. Hold your place in Luke. John chapter 1. And look down to verse 14 first. John chapter 1 and verse 14. It says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And, and Isaiah had prophesied 760 years before that a virgin, was going to see, con, uh, a virgin was going to conceive and she was going to bear a son. And the Lord God was going to do it. Look at the beginning of chapter 1 in the Gospel of John there, verse number 1. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. And and, in this passage in John chapter 1, he's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's a few things about the Lord Jesus Christ, this baby, and of course, Mary's a virgin, she's going to conceive, she's going to have a baby, and he's, 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 he's going to be deity. He's going to be God in human flesh. Look, look back to verse 35 in Luke chapter 1. Verse 35, Mary was told that her baby was going to be holy. He was going to be holy. Now, I have four children, and all four of them were, I, we all thought they were beautiful, every one of them, you know. They were gorgeous. You know, Olivia came out. She had this dark black hair and a lot of it, and it was already kind of curly, you know. And uh, William had red hair, and Tori didn't have much hair. And, and William, he was really small and kind of shriveled up a little bit. But you know what? We loved him too. And we, we thought every one of them were amazingly adorable. We loved our children. And, and I do. I love my children. You know I do. But not one of my children were born into this world holy. And they proved that pretty quickly. And they've continued to prove it as the years have gone on. Not one of them. I I didn't have to teach them to disobey, or I didn't have to teach them to rebel. None of them, not one of them were born into this world holy. So this is a, a unique baby. Look at verse number 35 of Luke chapter 1, verse 35. And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. The baby that Mary's going to have in this pronouncement of Gabriel to Mary, you're going to have a baby. And she's saying, "I'm, I'm a virgin. I've never known a man. I can't have a baby. And, uh, and, and, and Gabriel says, the Holy Ghost is going to come upon you. And others, supernatur- supernaturally, God is going to give you a pregnancy. And you're going to give birth to a baby. And this baby is going to be unlike any other baby that's ever been born before or ever will be born afterward. This baby, your ba- baby Mary, is going to be holy. Holy. It, it's translated in our... Bible's holy thing. It could have been translated holy one. 
Outside of Christ's birth, no other child has ever been born holy. Hebrews 4 and verse 15 says that Christ was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Jesus Christ was born into this world sinless. No sin nature in him. And then the Lord Jesus Christ lived his life for 33 years on this earth without ever sinning. He never sinned. He was holy. I also noticed in verse 35, the very last statement, that this baby that Mary was going to have was going to be called the Son of God. You see it there in verse 35. He's going to be called the Son of God. And the Hebrew thought of that day was that a son was a carbon copy of his father. Very much like his father. When you looked at a a boy, you could see his daddy. In John 1, verse 14, the Bible says the Word was made flesh. That is, Jesus Christ was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father. And so this was not new. Gabriel told Mary this, you're going to have a baby, and he's going to be a carbon copy of his dad, which is God. He is the Son of God. And so he is going to have the righteousness of God and the holiness of God. He is truth in human flesh. He is God. You know, it's always fun to watch children because they reveal a lot about their parents. They really do. And it's a blessing. As an evangelist traveling around, I didn't often get to to know people to that extent, but I thoroughly enjoyed getting to know you all as friends and church family because I get to... I get to see your children, and I get to know you better when I watch your children. It's great. And some of you, I even get to know the grandparents by watching the grandchildren. It's amazing how there's a connection there. But, uh, and I won't name any names, but we could go around the auditorium, and uh, you know, you look at a son, and you can see his father. It's like going back in time. Trenton Pritchard's a good example of that. I named a name. My bad. You know, Ryan Ashley's like that. And he could look at his father and it's like looking into the future. That's what I'm going to be someday. Is that what you want for your son, Bob? Yeah? Okay. So the word was made flesh, dwelt among us, and beheld his glory, the glory of the, as of the only begotten of the Father. Jesus Christ was a carbon copy of his, of his father. And I need to stop thinking about that because right now my mind's still going about the, the boys that I can look at them and see their father. It's amazing. It's amazing how I'm going to stop. But you know, here, here's the simple truth. Mary was submitted to the will of God. Gabriel comes to Mary and it doesn't seem like she had had any uh, angels visit her before, at least by her response. It doesn't seem like this. And and, Mary, and Gabriel comes to Mary in the announcement. The pronouncement is, you're going to have a baby, and your baby's going to be God. And Mary was submitted to God's will. Sometimes, and, and by the way, that's a wonderful blessing. Don't you think that God chose Mary? In fact, the Bible tells us that she was well-favored. God favored her highly. He thought highly of her. God honored Mary. She was an honorable young girl. She really was. 
You know, many of us would like God to honor us. But God honors those who honor him. And by the way, Mary was honored, but was it easy to be the mother of the Lord Jesus Christ? What do you think, yes or no? No. I don't think it was. Now, he, he never sinned, so he had been very obedient. That would have been nice. But how would have you liked to have been the parent of God in human flesh? Because Mary would have sinned. She was not perfect. She was not a perfect parent. How many of us would have liked to have watched our son be rejected of men, coming unto his own and his own receiving him not? How many of us would have liked to have heard back about, where is Jesus? Oh, he's over on the other side of Galilee, and he's preaching, and he's doing these things, and the people forsook him there, too. They rejected his message there, too. How many of us would have liked to have stood at the foot of the cross next to the beloved of the Lord Jesus Christ, John, and watch our son hang on a cross, even if we knew it was for the sins of the whole world, and watch him take the sins of the whole world upon his body. Now, being the mother of the Lord Jesus Christ would not have been an easy thing, and yet Mary was submitted to God's plan. Secondly, I noticed not only was this baby God in human flesh, but secondly, I noticed that this baby was going to be the Savior of the world. Look at verse number 31, back in Luke 1. Verse 31, Gabriel tells Mary, And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. Yeshua. The Old Testament translation in Hebrew would have been Joshua. New Testament, Greek. Here we have Yeshua, and it's spoken in English, Jesus. And it means something very, 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 very important. Jesus essentially means Savior. And so the angel Gabriel's telling Mary, you're going to have a baby and he is going to be the Savior. It literally means the Lord is my salvation or Jehovah is Savior. In Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21, uh, the Bible says, and she shall bring forth a son and Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. He's going to save his people from their sins. Now, I don't think when, when Gabriel said these words unto Mary, I don't think Mary fully understood all of what this plan was going to entail. I don't think she had an idea that Jesus, her son, would hang on that cross and take the sins of the whole world upon his body. I don't think that was on her mind. But Mary was surrendered to God's plan. You know, Jesus was born to save. And that's been spoken and preached from this pulpit over the past few weeks as we've had children's Christmas plays and Christmas cantatas and the choir has sung it. Special music has sung it. You've heard it over and over and over again. Jesus Christ was born to save. I hope you have some, hope you have some Christmas traditions that you do in your family. And I hope that one of them is on Christmas morning taking the word of God and turning to Luke chapter 2 or another passage like that. Luke chapter 2 is a wonderful passage to read from. And start in verse 1 and read down through verse number 20 or so. Have your children read it or, or you as a dad read it. And read it through. As Americans, we can be overwhelmed with the 
lights of Christmas, and I enjoy lights and decorations. And we got our, I finally got our Christmas tree lights going, if you were worried about that, the top third. They're a little brighter than the bottom two-thirds, but hey, you know what? It works. But we have our Christmas traditions, and, and we love to open gifts, and you ought to see Will rip the paper off. It's like, you know, take it off in large pieces, Will, but no. They come out in handfuls, pieces at a time. It's just everywhere. And you know what? It's great. And we let them do it, and it's a lot of fun. And, and we enjoy all that is Christmas, but parents, moms and dads and grandparents, if we miss out on telling the next generation of what Christmas is truly about, then we really have missed it. So take time to read Luke chapter 2, those first 20 verses together. And what you'll be reminded of is that Jesus Christ, was he came into this world. It's not just about a baby who stayed a baby, but he came to save the world of its sin. Jesus was born to save people from sin. The Bible says a lot about sin. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 12, it says, Wherefore is by one man, Adam, Sin entered into the world and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. The Bible says a lot about sin. It tells us where sin started. It tells us what sin does or who has sinned. Romans chapter 3 and verse 23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All have sinned. I don't think I've ever had anybody disagree with me about that. I don't think I've ever heard anybody that I can recall tell me, Pastor Ferguson, I have never sinned in my life. Most people recognize that they're a sinner. Most of us recognize that we have lied. We have colored the facts in our direction a time or two, and it's called lying. It's called deception. We we understand that. In Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, we're told that the wages or the payment for sin is death. There's a payment for sin. All have sinned. We know where sin came from. It came from Adam sinning, disobeying God, and it was passed down from generation to generation to generation. And all have sinned, and, but there's a penalty, a payment for sin, and that payment for sin is death. Separation from God for all of eternity But the latter part of Romans chapter 6 and verse 23 says, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, His Son. Through Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ is salvation. And and maybe you're here this morning and you would say, Seth, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I've broken God's law, I've disobeyed God. Who hasn't, Seth? Well, the question is, have you been forgiven of your sin? Have you received the gift of God, which is eternal life? And 1 John chapter 5 tells us, He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Either a person has life and has Christ, who is life, eternal, or a person does not have the Lord Jesus Christ and does not have eternal life. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 7, the Bible says, For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commendeth, he showed his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
And when we think of the birth of of Jesus in a manger, and we think of the pronouncement that you read about in Luke chapter 2 of the angels coming unto the, the shepherds and saying, Glory to God in the highest and peace. When we think about that announcement, we think of that baby in the manger, this innocent, sinless baby. He came for one reason. And I can't help but see it here in the pronouncement from Gabriel to Mary. The baby hasn't even been conceived yet. And Gabriel's telling Mary, you're going to give birth to God in human flesh. And your son, the baby that you're going to give birth to, he is going to be, you're going to call him Jesus. Jehovah saves. He's going to be the savior of the world. And of course, he would do that through dying and taking our sins upon his body. God showed that he loves us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's how we know that he loves us. That passage goes on to say, much more than being now justified or declared righteous by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. How is a person who is unholy and in sin, living in sin, rebelling against God, living in sin, how is a person like that reconciled to God? And the answer is by believing upon the Lord Jesus Christ and trusting him alone to save us from our wicked sin. That's how. And that's why God sent his son, the creator of the world, God, sending his only son to be born of a virgin Mary, uh, wrapped in swaddling clothes, living in a home, frankly, that was fairly poor, not having a lot in Joseph and Mary's family, living a sinless life for 33 years, preaching the gospel and teaching and being rejected of people, seeing people saved, healing and feeding, only to die on a cross. He died because your sin and my sin demanded a payment. Payment had to be made. Blood had to be shed. Why? Because the payment for sin is death. And God is holy and God is just. He could not just overlook sin. A payment had to be made, and he was the only one who could make the payment. And he sent his son to do it. Jesus Christ was born to save sinners unto righteousness. Jesus Christ was born to buy us back from the penalty and the power of sin and to restore us to God. That's why he came. In John 1 and verse 12, it says, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. And in verse number 13, it says, Which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And I submit to you this morning that it is God's will that a person be born again. It is God's will that a person be saved. And he, and he tells us that in other places And he says that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Maybe you're here this morning and you'd say, you know what, Pastor Seth, I'm okay with the the nativity scenes around town. I got no issue with that. I'm okay with the people who run a star up their flagpole and drape the lights down. And that's nice, too, as far as decorations. Pastor says, I got no problem with any of that. But you know what? I don't believe that Jesus Christ is God, and I don't believe that I'm a sinner who needs to answer to a holy God, then, friend, you, you must reconcile somewhere along the way in your mind how this world came to be. And in your heart, you know that there is a creator. And in your heart, you know that God made you. 
and you are going to answer to him. And I want you to know these nativity scenes are more than just part of Christmas holiday cheer. And in those nativity scenes, you've got what? Joseph there and Mary, and then you've got this baby. And what does that baby represent? It represents the Savior of the world. Talk about humility. One who was all-powerful, Jesus Christ, who had created all things by his words, by the words of his mouth. He literally humbled himself and he came to this sin-cursed earth and was born of a virgin to die, to save me, to save you. Receive him. Believe upon him. Put your faith and trust in him. Accept him as your savior. There's one last truth and we'll be done this morning. Uh, the first pronouncement that, uh, from Gabriel to Mary was, you're going to have a baby, and he's going to be God in human flesh. The second pronouncement was, Mary, you're going to have a baby, and he's going to be the Savior of the world. And the third and final pronouncement I noticed in this passage was, Mary, you're going to have a baby, and he's going to rule and reign forever, forever and ever. Now, this, this all was prophesied. It had been in the Old Testament. Now it's being told to Mary in the New Testament. Look at verse number 32. He shall be great, um, Gabriel says to Mary about her baby. He shall be great, which means exceedingly great or mighty, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. You know, I think as great as Mary's expectations could have been for her promised child, her expectations can, be, can have been nothing compared to the fulfillment of the angel's words. Now again, Mary has been surrendered to God's plan. She's willing to submit to God's plan all along this way. Uh, look at verse number 32, the latter part. Uh, notice how Mary was told that Jesus would be given the throne of his father David. Do you see it there? Someday Jesus is going to sit on David's throne when he reigns for a thousand years during the millennial kingdom after the tribulation period is over. In verse number 33, look, look there at the beginning part of verse 33, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob. And Jacob, you remember, his name was changed to Israel. And so that reference here to Jacob, the house of Jacob, is a reference to Israel Jesus Christ is going to someday reign over Israel forever. In Jeremiah chapter 23 and verse 5, the Bible says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch, and a king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and justice in the earth. You see, Jesus is going to reign as king over the nation of Israel, and this is going to happen during the millennial reign of Christ, the thousand-year reign of Christ on this earth. And then it's going to continue on forever. Because look at verse number 33, the latter part. Mary was told by Gabriel that her son, Jesus, of his kingdom, there shall be no end. There shall be no end. Now, I don't think there's any doubt that Mary understood that the angel Gabriel was speaking to her of the Messiah who had been promised so many years ago. Back in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, Isaiah had prophesied, and, and Mary and those who would have been following God would have understood this and known these words. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, 
Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of His government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon His kingdom, to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth, even forever. And then Isaiah said this, The zeal of Jehovah, the Lord of hosts, will perform this. It's going to happen. Mary would have been familiar with that, I believe. And here she is, just 12, 13, 14 years of age, and Gabriel comes to her, and she's taken aback. And he says, you're going to have a baby, and your baby is going to be God in human flesh. And your baby, the baby you're going to have, is going, you're going to call him Jesus, which means Jehovah saves, because your son is going to be the savior of the world. And your baby is unlike any other baby He's going to rule and reign on the throne of David for all of eternity. In this time of year, Christmas, when we think about the baby, we think of Jesus being born, we mustn't forget who was born. Mary was told before he was ever born who he was. And you and I, as we read the Christmas story on on, uh, Tuesday, or we we sing these, these carols and these songs, in fact, One of the songs we sang this morning was talking about this. Did you notice that? And and by the way, I I rejoice as we sang the carol or or the the hymn, that Christmas hymn. And as we sang through it, it kind of went from his birth all the way to his ruling and his reigning someday. And you and I, we must not neglect to remember these things. Mary didn't seem surprised that the Messiah was going to come, by the way. But she was very surprised that she was to be his mother I I imagine that there were many a Hebrew girl who dreamt that maybe she would be the one who would give birth to the promised one, the Messiah, uh, the Messiah of Israel. It was obvious, I think, that Mary was overwhelmed by the words of Gabriel. Look at verse 34. She blurts out, how shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And, And the idea there is Mary saying, I'm a virgin and I intend to continue to be a virgin. How can I possibly give birth unto a child? But she didn't doubt the angel's words. She just wondered aloud, how, how is this going to be accomplished? She didn't understand how all of this was going to work out. And, and Gabriel tells Mary how this child was going to be conceived. And look at verse 35. And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Look at verse number 36. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth. This is interesting, because Mary's kind of wondering, how is this going to work? And, and, and Gabriel says, the, the Spirit of God is going to conceive a child in your womb. Supernaturally, you're going to become pregnant with a baby. And, and if, if Mary's doubting or wondering at all, how is this going to happen? He then gives her proof of that God can work miracles. In verse 36, behold thy cousin, that would be Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age... And this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. It was common knowledge. Elizabeth was barren. She couldn't have children. And Gabriel says, you know, Elizabeth? Yeah, she's six months pregnant. Everybody knew of her as barren. She couldn't have any children at all at this stage in life. And yet she's six months pregnant. And if God can do that, he has no problem making a virgin become pregnant. Look at verse 37. He then says, for with God, nothing shall be impossible. 
And you know, throughout this auditorium this morning, there are so many of you who have endured such hardship throughout this year. And over and over again, you have found yourselves looking at situations and circumstances that I cannot fix for you, that you cannot fix for yourself, that a whole group of people cannot fix and the government cannot fix. With God, nothing shall be impossible. Now, I want to give you a caution as we close the sermon this morning. Because you might have in your mind, well, I know what needs to happen in my situation. These three things need to happen in my situation. And so God, this verse means that God is going to do what I want him to do. No, that's not what it says. It says that with God, nothing is impossible. Nothing, that's a 100% statement, is impossible. God can do whatever he chooses to do. The hard part for you and me is being willing to accept what God chooses to do. We rejoice in the birth of Jesus because he died in our place to save us from our sins. And we ought to rejoice for that. But as I read this text and we preached through it this morning, I can't help but notice there was a young girl who was willing to let God do in her life and through her life whatever he wanted to do. Jesus Christ lives in us today, many of us in this room, because we've believed upon him, we've been born again, and his spirit lives within us. And every single one of us ought to conclude this year purposing in our hearts, Lord, I trust you. And I want you to do whatever you know is best in my life. God, I want you to have your way in my life and in my family. Lord, I want you to have your way in our church. And look at verse 38 as we close. And Mary said, Behold, look and see the handmaid of the Lord, the servant of God, is what she said. And then she says this, Be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed. Every one of us ought to be able to say that. Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. Mary said that. And God blessed her exceedingly. I want us to take our hymnals and turn to hymn number 494.